Hey everybody, welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Ben Bukulski. Dr. Mark Gordon joins me today. He is an expert in the field of neuroregenerative medicine and the treatment of traumatic brain injuries. He is a strong advocate for functional medicine and promoting wellness by correcting the underlying root cause, not the symptom. We don't treat the symptom, we treat the cause. Dr. Gordon is a pioneer in recognizing traumatic brain injuries as a cause of hormonal deficiencies. Here's the tie-in for you guys. Sometimes as young athletes, we have brain injuries, brain trauma, and ultimately concussions, and this can massively cause hormonal challenges as we age. And so many people miss this. If you haven't noticed, there's a trend in muscle intelligence lately. I'm trying to support everyone and ultimately optimizing their hormones and their knowledge and their understanding of hormones. Originally, he was a trained resident in family medicine. He continued his medical education, which eventually accumulated in interventional endocrinology, a term which he coined in 2003. And Dr. Gordon is a strong advocate for preventative medicine through optimization of neuroactive compounds and neurosteroids. And I'll talk to you about all about what that is. He has presently joined forces with a charitable foundation called Warrior Angels and Task Force Dagger to provide services to members of the armed forces and active veterans because of the prevalence and prominence of brain injuries there. He is truly a pioneer in the space of brain injuries and how to protect yourself and ultimately the influences of hormones. A few points from today's interview, how to protect your brain, how to support insulin management at the level of the brain, which is a huge problem as we age. Alzheimer's, they suggest, is actually going to be type 3 diabetes. Diabetes of the brain causes signs and symptoms of chronic brain inflammation and how to begin addressing it. Now, here's the thing. I don't care how old you are. You could be seven years old and have brain inflammation from a poor diet. You could have set, you could be seven years old and have brain inflammation from any type of head trauma. Gentlemen, ladies, listen up. Share this podcast with someone you know who may be experiencing brain trauma. It's not just something that you'll notice as like, oh, my head hurts. It may be things like brain fog, poor emotional regulation, poor sleep, over-anxious and stressed behaviors. Listen to the podcast. Dr. Gordon talks so much about it how to ultimately treat low testosterone, what tests to look for, and additional markers of inflammation, the best practices, and long-term use. Plus, why testosterone is such a powerful anti-inflammatory hormone for the body and how to use it to support that correct usage and dosages for DHA and pregnenolone, and ultimately how to watch out for cholesterol building up during hormone replacement therapy. Last but not least, the benefits of growth hormone, how to cycle it, in a way that supports your body's natural rhythms. Today's podcast is brought to you by our incredible friends over at Bioptimizers, some of the highest quality products on the market today. If you're not already using their magnesium breakthrough, get it. You will not regret it. Seven different types of magnesium to ultimately help you thrive. It's their flagship product. It's truly unique. It's one of the supplements that I recommend most to my clients. In fact, I think most, if not all of my clients are taking it and feel better because of it. It's one of those supplements that you don't notice when you're not on it, but when you're on it, you'll often notice things like better stress management, better mood, less irritability and agitation, ultimately stress and anxiety deplete your magnesium levels. Low magnesium can contribute to anxiety and anxiety contributes to low magnesium. So it's this vicious cycle. I recommend taking two magnesium breakthrough caps before bed, but don't listen to me. Consult your physician or your healthcare practitioner head over to bioptimizers.com slash muscle, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-E, excuse me, I-Z-R-E-S.com slash muscle. Use the code muscle10 at checkout. Now on to the podcast. 
Dr. Mark Gordon, you are a wealth of information. We've been spending some time enjoying some banter back and forth with respect to brain optimization, hormone optimization, and I'm truly grateful to welcome you to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast today. Thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity. We were just going on, uh, kind of just organically nerding out over some brain optimization strategies. Right. You just started eloquently wrapping off you know, what people should be thinking about or what you think about ultimately when it comes to how to be 71 years old and still have the brain of, uh, you know, probably better than most teenagers out there. And I'd love to, if you just keep going on that path of talking about brain energy as being kind of the root of um, everything we do uh, as a level of brain. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a great area and it melds right into, you know, the area of traumatic brain injury that I uh, work in because in any form of uh, longevity, someone who's living long, what happens is you accumulate a lot of the inflammatory chemistry uh, of life, you know, generating energy. And what happens is over a course of time, that uh, side effect, the, um, the junk that our brain accumulates will lead to a decrease in our energy powerhouses called mitochondria and their ability to generate energy. That energy or electricity, if you will, is what runs all the biochemical processes and the communication in the brain from neuron to neuron, from lobe of the brain to different lobe of the brain, for visual, for recall, for colors, for everything that we, our brain is responsible for, it needs energy. And so what happens as we mature, we do more things to damage our brain's ability to make energy just by living. Drinking alcohol is negative, certain medication drugs, a trauma to the brain will affect the mitochondria. So the question is, how have we been able to improve memory, whether or not it's short-term or long-term memory? And that's been through increasing or augmenting the substrates, the products that the brain needs, the mitochondria need for energy production. And the two most important ones that we've found are these products that are called CoQ10 or ubiquinol, and another one called PQQ, which is in the family of the ubiquinanes or ubiquinols, which are the CoQ10s. And they've both been put into the family of vitamin B, the B family. And the PQQ and the CoQ10 are very important for upregulating the production of ATP, adenosine triphosphate, which is the electron, the electricity, the molecule that generates all the power for running all systems in the body. Now, the difference between PQQ and CoQ10 is the fact that PQQ is between 100 and 1,000 times stronger than CoQ10 is. It also will increase the amount of mitochondria that uh, are in each cell, where CoQ10 really doesn't do that. And it's uh, the thing called the CERT1 or the CERT genes which is what resveratrol stimulates. But PQQ does it much better. Quercetin does it just as well. In seven days, you can start doubling your mitochondria in the cells. So there are a group of nutraceuticals or natural products that you can use to augment the number of mitochondria, and then you need to feed it. You need to feed it with carbohydrates. Yeah. You know, that's why, you know, certain of the diet trends that are out there. I'm not in agreement. Starvation without carbohydrates. The brain works on carbohydrates, so you need it. So things like PQQ and CoQ10, when you put them together, they double each of their individual effects. 
uh, by increasing the production of ATP. The PQQ also removes a lot of the inflammatory free radicals, which are contraproductive towards mitochondrial production of ATP. So you get that additional benefit. So if you make more ATP, you've got a much uh, clearer brain. And all our, uh, you know, I work with uh, only military and they've had blast trauma and their complaints are aside from libido, which is probably ubiquitous, is their memory, whether or not it's long-term memory or short-term memory, or their ability just to do simple tasks of mathematics or, you know, communication recall and so forth. And when we increase their, uh, drop their inflammation and increase their mitochondrial functioning, uh, what you get is an improvement in cognition and mental functioning. And there's a lot of literature out there talking about, well, more recently, talking about mitochondrial dysfunction, the failure of mitochondria to work as we get older, and then it's made even worse by certain traumas, whether or not it's trauma from a car accident or a blast from an IED or a hit on the head or certain repetitive uh, procedures that we do, it leads to diminished functioning. Yeah, that's so helpful. I know you're, I don't want you to like go into dosing and stuff like that, but the timing of those supplements, is that something you recommend people take at certain times of the day? No, you can take the uh, PTQ and CoQ10 uh, when you like. And the dosing for the uh, PTQ is by itself about 20 milligrams. But if you mix the uh, PTQ with CoQ10 of about 50 milligrams, you can go as high as 100, it would be about 10 milligrams. It's an expensive product. Uh, PQQ, uh, but it works so very well. And some of the side effects protects the heart, protects the heart from uh, congestive heart failure. They found that PQQ and CoQ10 help to improve the heart, as well as DHT from testosterone, extremely important for the contractility of the heart called dinotropism. So it's, you know, a lot of benefits throughout the body. And we're just talking about one real small area. Yeah. So one of my, my evening snacks, I'll, I'll stacks, I'll take my Cuckoo 10, my PQQ and my resveratrol every night before bed. Right. Um, I just find for me, you know, maybe some research I read about the benefit of antioxidants before bed to allow your brain to actually, you know, while you're not consuming food, you're detoxifying those nutrients to be prevalent in the brain to, to help to kind of get, get rid of those um, potential toxins and allow the brain to be energized while you're recovering. I don't know if that, if that makes sense. I, I believe oh, yeah. it was years ago that I read that. It makes a lot of sense. And in fact, our uh, product, which is called Brain Care 2, which drops the inflammation throughout the body, but focused on the brain, we recommend that they take it uh, pre-dinner uh, so that during the nighttime, uh, they get the yeah. benefits of it while they're sleeping. So one of the most fascinating uh, areas of research right now, certainly you're uh, very deep in, is brain inflammation. And we talked about, you touched on it a little bit and with right. Brain 2. And uh, where I thought I was really interested to hear your perspective is on how it's impacting testosterone. Because a lot of our men in my community are, uh, one, either experiencing low testosterone symptoms, uh, two, realize it's coming if they're not already, and three, considering uh, hormone replacement. And I think you know you are very well versed in all those areas, but you're the first person I've ever had come on the show and say, hey, this is a brain inflammation, or one one factor here is brain inflammation that's really cutting down people's ability to produce testosterone, where it ultimately all starts at the level of the brain. So I'd love to have you just kind of talk about that and uh, explain to our, our gentlemen listening what's going on. 
Yeah, it, it's a very important um, scientific uh, fact as well as appreciation so that when you do jump into hormonal modulation, that you first fix the body uh, because that's the reason for the loss of testosterone production. In 2013, uh, I came across uh, one of many articles that talked about a specific mechanism by which both males and females lose the stimulation of, in females, the theca glands, and males, the Leydig cells for making testosterone. And that's when there is any form of inflammation in the brain. What it does is it shuts down the area of the brain called the hypothalamus that's responsible for making the initial signal called gonadotropic releasing hormone, which goes to the pituitary to turn on both luteinizing hormone, LH, which specifically turns on testosterone production in both males and females, and then follicle-stimulating hormone, FSH, which turns on the production of ova and in females and the sperm production in males. So we have this, you know, I won't go into the deep dive, I'll keep it on the surface, where they show that the inflammation shuts off something that regulates the ability of the hypothalamus to do that task of sending out the GnRH, the gonadotropic releasing hormone, to have the pituitary release it. So what we've been doing over the past 10 years has been addressing the inflammation, uh, whether or not that inflammation occurred from a motorcycle accident, motor vehicle accident, a slip and fall, or assault with head trauma, or one of the many causes in uh, the military that we see, we address the inflammation and monitor their response on luteinizing hormone. And what we find is that their level does go up. Now, we use an array of nutraceutical natural products that have an incredible amount of science showing how it alters the inflammatory cascades throughout the brain. There are a lot of them. The one that's the key one is called pro-inflammatory cytokines. Cytokines are part of the immune system, which are released uh, when certain parameters are met that cause a flooding of the brain with these perceived protective, initially protective cytokines. And they are protective when they're acutely, when the brain's acutely exposed to interleukin-1, 1B, terminal necrosis factor alpha, and interleukin-6, that these are produced acutely to help take care of a virus or bacteria, or if there's been trauma to the brain from being uh, one of the assaults or one of the traumas, physical traumas that happens, and it helps to clean up the area. But if you have a repetitive problem or repetitive trauma, like in football or in boxing or in exposure in the field of battle with a 50 caliber machine gun or a breacher blowing up doors or gaining access to you know spaces, these repetitive injuries will keep the process chronic. And in fact, we found 17 years plus after one injury, the chemistry of the brain is still making these inflammatory cytokines, interleukin-6. And that is what causes a chronic inflammation of the brain, which causes the shutdown of not only production of testosterone, but thyroid, growth hormone. So you've got thyroid, growth hormone, and testosterone. Growth hormone in about 100% of the cases of trauma to the brain, regardless of if it's a physical trauma or a 
non-physical trauma, meaning a blast wave or chronic stress, just pure stress. It will lead to a shutdown in growth hormone, number one, and then testosterone, and then thyroid, and then cortisol. So you see this progression depending upon how long you're exposed to this inflammatory main move. And one of the areas that I uh, always find myself in polite argument with the experts out there in PTSD and post-traumatic stress disorder or post-traumatic stress is the fact that they believe that PTS or PTSD is uh, due to nothing more than pure stress and psychological. So it's categorized as a pure psychiatric illness. Well, a Dr. Daniel uh, Pearl in Washington, who's a histologist, a brain specialist who does um, sections of the brain in 20,000 veterans who had died from this um, PTSD scenario. And what he found is every single one of them had damage to the brain similar to what happens with CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is usually in boxers. And he found these punched out areas in the brains of these people who were given this 100% psychiatric diagnosis of PTSD. And he asked a very important question. He said, how is it that a purely psychiatric illness leads to a physical damage to the brain? Well, we now know as of nine years ago why that happens. And that's because under pure stress, a chemical called fractalkin is dropped and it allows for the inflammatory mechanisms of the brain to go wild. And that high inflammation leads to damage of the brain. So inflammation is one of the key factors leading to not only loss of testosterone, but growth hormone and thyroid. You know, the first time I heard that, that molecule, I didn't literally never heard it before, it was from you. And uh, I looked it up and couldn't find a huge amount on Fractalkin. I'd love to have you walk through what that is because, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'll be more than happy to send you my portfolio. It's about nine years ago, that 10 years ago now, that it started coming out. What happens in the, the brain is incredible. Now, I mean, our entire body, the way it was designed, whoever designed us really designed us with a lot of thought into it. So what happens with stress, we're talking about this um, issue of fractalkin from purely a psychiatric standpoint, under chronic stress, cortisol goes up. And when cortisol goes up, the neurons, nerve cells that are responsible for making this immune system called fractalkin, it's called a chemokine. Fractalkin, what it does is it keeps the, the white blood cells of the brain called microglia, it keeps them in a sedentary state. And they're not really sedentary like, you know, when we get into 100 years of age where we do nothing, they're surveilling really. They're looking for viruses, bacteria, they're looking for junk that's been generated from breakdown of cells, and they will start the process of clearing it out. But it's very well controlled. When cortisol goes up, the neurons shut off their production of fractalkin, and it allows the microglia, these immune systems, to go wild and start dumping cytokines, pro-inflammatory cytokines. And it's those pro-inflammatory cytokines that lead to the damage of all areas of the brain. 
So when you start damaging things, you start throwing off free radicals. The free radicals do what? They turn on the microglial cells or the glial cells to produce more inflammation. And so you get this cascade of events. So when the stress is gone, and it's acute stress, what happens is your neurons start making more of this tractalkin and they calm down the microglia. And the microglia also go through two phases, uh, one where they're pro-inflammatory and then a second phase, which is anti-inflammatory. Well, it turns out that testosterone, extremely important at dropping the pro-inflammatory cytokines, the ones that I rambled off, interleukin-1, 1b, 6, and tumor growth specter alpha, it reduces those. Testosterone does. And on another side, testosterone increases the innate immune system as well as it increases the production of an anti-inflammatory cytokine called IL-10, interleukin-10, which is probably one of the strongest ones for dropping inflammation. So testosterone shuts off the inflammatory aside pro-inflammatory cytokines and increases the anti-inflammatory. So the benefit of testosterone for dropping inflammation throughout the entire body is impressive, as well as is estradiol. And that's why using things like aromatase inhibitors are really bad uh, because you're taking away the benefits of estradiol on modulating inflammation, as well as testosterone and estradiol remove the chemical called beta amyloid or amyloid beta, which causes Alzheimer's disease. Testosterone and estradiol help to remove it from the cell through a transport mechanism called neprilysin on the membrane of the cells. So the importance of testosterone and estradiol as we mature becomes extremely important to help us with our brain functioning to stop dementia, to stop Alzheimer's. That's interesting, right? Because if we're having, if I'm, if I'm following you correctly, elevated cortisol is causing this, this suppression in fructalkin, which then allows cortisol or allows inflammation to go up even right. more. But then that will that will further suppress testosterone, right? So, so it's right. So if you're not getting the testosterone benefit because of the elevated inflammation, then you're not going to have the ability. It's like this almost catch twenty two situation where if you don't have testosterone present to begin with. Absolutely. So the question is, what do you do? Well, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. What do we do is for a temporary period of time, uh, we'll put, we'll put them on uh, clomiphene citrate or eclomiphene, which will force through a secondary mechanism, will force the hypothalamus to increase this GnRH that is shut off by inflammation and go and turn on luteinizing hormone. So you start generating more testosterone. As you generate more testosterone in conjunction with the anti-inflammatory products that we use, what happens is inflammation goes down and then the system comes back up. We've got a number of guys, our oldest right now, uh, Josh out of um, Austin, Texas, uh, ex-military. It took him six months for him to be, being on clomiphene the citrate, six months for his own system to kick back on. He was on the anti-inflammatories as well as well as he got off of eight medications in six months. Okay. Wow. So what we do is what we can to stimulate the production of testosterone. Now, I think we've spoken about this in our prior um, conversation, which I'll reiterate here. 
What we do when we find anybody that is deficient in uh, testosterone, obviously we've got a history, a clinical history, to see if they've had some kind of a, a trauma that might predispose to have predisposed them to testosterone deficiency. And when we find that, we'll put them on to clomiphene uh, citrate protocol of 50 milligrams every 72 hours at bedtime and monitor them at 90 days and then 180 days to see how they respond. There are some people who have burnt out their system. I have a 43-year-old vet who burnt out his system by using 200 milligrams of testosterone cypionate every Sunday for five years straight. He burnt out his system. We couldn't regenerate his system. But the majority of people with traumas or inflammation or low-dose uh, testosterone TRT use in the past were able to regenerate their system. Funny thing that, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's funny, but we use, uh, we have a protocol called a hybrid protocol, which is a combination of low-dose blended testosterone with clomiphen citrate. And I had uh, one of my uh, clients say, you know, doc, the majority of doctors out there will put you on recovery treatment, whether or not it's beta HCG or uh, clomiphen citrate, when you finish your cycle of 12 weeks or whatever on testosterone, right? Yes. And I said to him, absolutely, but think of it this way. You've got a brand new Porsche and you drive it 60 miles an hour into a wall and then put the seatbelt on. So what we do is we put the seatbelt on in the beginning to protect you from that wall that you're going to create and hit down the road. Okay. So what it does is- Go ahead. Yeah, so what it does is it protects your system, and what we call it is biological integrity. You want to keep the circuitry running. When you use yep. testosterone for a long time, or you use the DHT congeners like uh, Anivar or Winstrol or you know all the things that are out there, um, Tribble and so forth, what they do is they shut your system down and create you know incredibly testosterone. As a one factor for shutting down luteinizing hormone, tribulone, anabar, all those DHT uh, congeners, they look like DHT, are three times stronger at shutting down your luteinizing hormone. Mm. Okay? So, understanding the game you're playing, uh, you need to you know back your bets and have a safety net. And it's not 12 weeks down the road after you've hammered your system with you know great combinations uh, like Llewellyn has in his book, some great combinations of the anabol anabolics. I just had a doctor. Mandatory reading. That was mandatory reading, uh, Llewellyn's book. Whose book is it? Llewellyn? Oh, yeah. unbelievable. He's a, a street TRT expert. He's not a doc, but he's put together some really good literature. Llewellyn. What is it? Double L-E-W-E-L-E-N or W-E. Llewellyn. And it's called the Nano anabolic handbook. I haven't had one more than 10 years ago. I got it because I was seeing a lot of guys from the industry, you know, entertainment and from sports and whatever else that wanted to get onto anabolic steroids. And what we had was a safe harbor where if it would be really balanced and well thought out uh, hormonal replacement, replenishment or treatment with laboratory testing and monitoring. But James, uh, uh, James Llewellyn, yeah, is it the James? Hey, yeah, James Llewellyn. Um, yeah. No, Will. I think it's William actually. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. 
Yeah, but the last thing, Blue Island. It's the steroid yeah. am- And every yeah, year, yes, yeah. year you, you, you know the book. Yeah. I do. So I just had a, a doc on the show named Dr. Scott Howell, and we actually went through mechanistically exactly what's happening. And so you said it all going at the beginning of the show, but just to bring it back and point it out, luteinizing uh, hormone out of the pituitary, stimulating uh, testosterone production in the Leydig cells, follicle-stimulating hormone directly stimulating the uh, uh, the spermatogenesis. Right. And both of those get shut down when you're taking testosterone exogenously. So we're ultimately just, by taking clomid or HCG, we're supporting LH and FSH so they don't shut down. You don't shut down your natural production as long or, or, as, or as much, and you don't shut down spermatogenesis to the production of sperm. So a lot of guys are concerned, like, hey, if I could take testosterone, I might be able to have kids. And, and this seems like it may, I don't want to say solve the problem, but at least, at least uh, mitigate it. Well, yeah, it does diminish and to a degree mitigate it. And the way that we know that it, it stops it or mitigates it is by doing every 90 days a luteinizing hormone test to see where it's at. And uh, a good level or median of the range by most most labs is around five. So you know when they're less than, whenever it says less than, it means the technology that they're using at the lab can't pick up one iota of the a marker or a, the you know, hormone that you're after. So we like to keep our levels at about one. And uh, you know five is ideal. Less than 0.07 is where our lab's at, which is none. So it gets down really low on metering it. So we try to keep it active. And the real reason is because, let's say you're on what we call a hybrid protocol, 50 milligrams of uh, clomiphene citrate and whatever dosing of their testosterone. They stop their testosterone or they break the bottle or they you know, run out of it or they're in another country or something, they're not going to crash and burn. They stay on the clomid and they'll have a recurrence or a improvement, reestablishment of their um, natural testosterone production. But I think we might have talked about one of the hidden causes for testosterone not being made is an anti-inflammatory product, specifically a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory product called ibuprofen, Motrin. Mm-hmm. Now, in 2018, was a very intense article out of Denmark where they actually looked at people who were on long-term ibuprofen and how it influences their ability to make testosterone. And right before this uh, podcast, I was on the line with um, with a veteran who had actually that. He had lost his testosterone production because he had been on 800 milligrams of ibuprofen for uh, two or three times a day for about a year, which is, you know, they call it uh, vitamin M for Motrin. They call it uh, Skittles. They call it pain meds. And how it disrupts the ability of our luteinizing hormone to turn on Leydig cells is that it desensitizes, it shuts off the receptors that are connected to the production of testosterone. So on the cells called Leydig cells, which make testosterone, they have a receptor, which is what a button, let's say, called luteinizing hormone button. And when your luteinizing hormone comes and touches that button, start making testosterone. But what happens from ibuprofen, it makes that buffin, uh, that butter uh, button rusted. So you can't push it. It's rusted, so it can't be pressed. So what we were able to do with this uh, gentleman that I spoke with 
is putting them on to a higher dose, uh, excuse me, same dose, 50 milligrams, but higher frequency. Instead of every 72 hours, we had him on every 48 hours. And we now see that he's producing more testosterone and his luteinizing hormone level is lower. Okay. So that he doesn't need as much luteinizing hormone to stimulate his testicles, latex cells in the testes to make uh, more testosterone. So we have a, a, a growing group because most of our army vets, uh, that he was Air Force, uh, most of our vets have been put on to uh, large doses of uh, Motrin ibuprofen for many, many years. And we're seeing the pattern. I'll send you the article so you can put it into your your data, your data. Yeah, well, we'll link to it in the show notes because I think the, the audience is very interested in this stuff. We have a lot of practitioners that listen. We also oh, good. men just want to hop to mind. So um, definitely something I'd like to be able to link to and support right. people with uh, understanding the future. Yeah, I, have so, I have a question that's a bit bad. Yeah, I have most of this stuff posted on my website, but I think I'll send you a copy of everything so that people can come to your website and get it too. Yeah, and we'll link to your website as well. So I have a question that's on, on along these lines, but bit of a tangent. So I went to three art research articles this morning that that spoke about mechanistically interleukin-6 being one of the primary uh, regulatory mechanisms as to why we sh we stop training. So you think of an athlete, a pro athlete, uh, someone working out, uh, yeah. elevations into interleukin-6 can literally shut down the primary motor cortex or its ability to coordinate and actually coordinate movement. So I'd like to understand that mechanism. And if you have any suggestions or advice on how to acutely, like, because we want inflammation post-exercise, but if it's shutting down my ability to exercise intra-exercise, is there anything you know of that could acutely, like really acutely, shut down uh, or at least diminish interleukin-6 responses such that I can train longer, harder, more frequently? Absolutely. Great, complex uh, questions. And um, I'll go from the end forward. DHEA, drops interleukin-6 production. Study after study has shown that it influences the interleukin-6. Second part, or this next part, is when you get a cold, you feel smarter or less smart? Less. When you have a cold, how much do you want to go into the gym and work out? Not a lot. When you have a cold, how much time do you want to spend in bed as opposed to doing everything you normally do? Most motivation is crushed. When you get a cold, interleukin-6 goes up. And interleukin-6 is responsible for shutting down a lot of pathways, whether or not it's in the cortex or it's in the occipital lobe or the temporal lobe with word skills. And it also increases another product when you have this cold or you have this inflammation in the brain called peroxynitrite. And peroxynitrite will increase your pain and will increase your sensitivity to working out, okay, you're working out and you feel a little bit of lactic acid related issues. Well, you can diminish your lactic acid by DHEA and DHT, which comes from testosterone, because what they do is they increase the uh, presence of glucose in the myocytes, muscle cells, which is called glycogen. So you can actually increase glycogen, that's on the periphery. But going back to the core of your question, centrally, the brain is responsible for everything we think is coming from our muscles. Our ability to lift that extra 20 pounds in those bench presses or in the deadlifts, it's all coming from the brain. 
And if you have anything that puts in a doubt in your brain, and we'll call that doubt diminished energy, okay? Because when you're full of energy, you're dead on, you're straightforward, everything is crystal clear, you know exactly your goal. But when you have something that's pulling at that energy in your brain and causing doubt, you start self-doubting doubting yourself whether you can do it. We talked about it uh, before the show about how our mental status is so very important for determining our outcome in what we do. Yep. So if you have elevated interleukin-6, getting on things like, or being on DHEA, 25 or 50 milligrams, 15 to 30 minutes after dinner. Why after dinner? And most people take it in the morning. I mean, the insta, the organization that I used to be with you know, would push it in the morning. Well, it turns out that if you take DHEA at 15 to 30 minutes after a meal to help it absorb, it'll boost your growth hormone production in males 10%, in females 15 to 20%. So you get the benefit of this side hat that the DHEA does. Okay. No, that, was that, the, the, that makes tons of sense. That was one of the major longevity studies, wasn't it? Growth hormone, DHEA, and, and metformin as being the one of the best um, kind of combinations for enhancing longevity. I'm not a fan of metformin, but DHEA and growth hormone uh, I, both I, sound I, like they're friends. Of yeah, I don't use metformin. Uh, what we do is we improve... Uh, the way that insulin works, you know, in our brain function, I mean, if you look at a lot of the studies that came out of um, Alzheimer's research, they found that part of the symptomatology that occurs with the memory recall, the inability to do sequential uh, processes, your decision of what's good and what's bad, making appropriate, uh, you know, decisions on things is influenced by starvation of neurons. So what happens in Alzheimer's is, a, is an inflammatory process, and that inflammation leads to a diminished amount of sugar getting into the neurons, and that's because of loss of IGF-1, loss of testosterone, loss of DHEA, loss of DHT. So that's where growth hormone becomes very important in Alzheimer's case, okay, to help improve the sugar absorption because growth hormone stimulates the liver to make uh, IGF-1 which has a 10% crossover to insulin. But you can actually improve insulin sensitivity at the cells with chromium. Chromium polynicotinate is a cofactor for uh, allowing insulin to open up the cell to uh, bring in glucose, a GLUC4 receptor. So the chromium, we've reversed 29 cases of type 2 insulin-resistant diabetes by chromium, DHEA, and DHT. And I have, you know, the laboratory results and the treatment protocol showing 90 days after they're on it, their insulin levels that were freaking sky high in their blood sugar, yeah. all normal, normalized. And you're directly administering DHT? Uh, no, you give testosterone to become yeah. DHT. In that case, are you concerned with oxidative stress of, of testosterone? Like you're intentionally increasing polyphenols and, and antioxidants or just covering with CoQ10 and PQQ? Um, I like our polyphenols. I use a lot of them mm. uh, for free radical scavenging. And also quercetin is one. It uh, comes from apples and all these uh, nice fruits. But it has so many benefits. Increases 
IGF binding protein 3, which is a carrier for IGF 1, but more importantly, it's an anti cancer product. Binding protein 3 is. Are you taking that daily? Uh, I have 500 milligrams of quercetin on a regular day when COVID was happening. I was taking 1,000 with, uh, with uh, 30 milligrams of zinc because quercetin is a pleiotropic product. Pleiotropic means it has many functions. So it's a polyphenol free radical scavenger. It increases IGF binding protein 3 in the liver. It increases mitochondrial reproduction. It helps with inotropic, which carries zinc into the cell. So you carry zinc into the cell, it blocks SARS 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, influenza A and B. Also, it helps with um, something in the brain called SOD, superoxide desmutase system, which is a major anti-inflammatory system of the brain. The zinc SOD is very important for protecting the brain. Zinc also increases testosterone production, increases sperm production. I mean, quercetin helps zinc get into the cells to do their work. So, um, yeah, a brilliant supplement. I, I've heard, and you could tell me if this is wrong, I actually take that early in the day because it seems to, in some people, affect um, sleep if you take it late in the day. Uh, yeah, it can. But think of it this way. When you, when you correct the chemistry of the brain, so it's running like a Lamborghini engine as opposed to running like a two-stroke motorcycle, okay? Yeah. Minibike, okay? What happens is you've got more energy. And one of the things is testosterone can do that as well. That's why when do we normally take testosterone in the morning? And one of the effects of testosterone, good and bad, it's a double-edged sword, is that testosterone in some people will cause a chemical called adenylcyclase in the brain to go up. Adenylcyclase is like methamphetamine IV you know, push. So in some people, you get this increase in acetylopin, this adenylcyclase, and you'll be like full of energy. People, certain people, and you might have seen it throughout your exposure, certain people would get really agitated, edgy reactive when they're on testosterone and it might be a low dose or it might be low dose repetitively over a course of time. It's because it accumulates in the brain and creates this adenocyclase process. So we uh, did a study uh, of 140 um, patients on a, a product, an oral nanoliposomally delivered testosterone. Two people out of 140 within 30 minutes developed panic attack with a history of never having anxiety or panic. And that's what led me uh, almost 12 years ago to start looking at this mechanism, why that happens. Also in someone who takes pregnenolone, you know, I talk a lot about when you're on testosterone to take pregnenolone and also to take DHEA. Well, I had a rare occurrence of people who went on DHEA and pregnenolone where they developed uh, they were bouncing off of walls. They were just manic, crazy manic. It took me a couple of years to find one article that explained it to me where pregnenolone is uh, something that increases GABA, and GABA is the natural volume of the brain that calms you down or relaxes you down. They found that in a very rare person that the pregnenolone cross-talks. It means that it crosses over to the receptors that are called NMDA, which are excitatory. 
which is like IV of speed. So in a very rare group, I think I have five or six guys over the past 30 years who that I've been using pregnenolone that have this reaction. So it's something that I share with people because I'm looking for that rare. But I, I have five, six people. Yeah. And is it one of those things where if you are that person, just stop taking it? Or what is the kind of way to counteract it? Great question. Uh, I have a gentleman, we start with 100 milligrams. And within one or two doses, he developed this hyper uh, manic kind of uh, reaction. So we stopped him. He was off it for about a month to clear his system. And then we started with 10 milligrams. And on 10 milligrams has no problem. The benefit of pregnenolone is it's a precursor to a few chemicals, the most uh, hormones in the brain. The most important is called allopregnanolone, which is antidepressing, anti-anxiety. And it also helps, pregnenolone helps with GABA production so that you sleep better. A lot of the guys that we see have insomnia. And the insomnia is generated by the fact that they are not making melatonin. And when you have inflammation in the brain, what happens is that inflammation stops us or diminishes our brain from taking an amino acid called L-tryptophan and converting it into serotonin. So if you can't take this precursor amino acid and make a very important neurotransmitter called serotonin, you develop depression. And then what does serotonin become? Serotonin becomes melatonin. And that's what helps you sleep. So inflammation shuts off two enzymes, a hydroxylase that causes tryptophan to become the serotonin, and then decarboxylase that allows serotonin to become melatonin. So that's why we see in 100% of our veterans, we see depression, insomnia, and fatigue. And the fatigue comes from the fact that if you're not utilizing L-tryptophan to make serotonin melatonin, it backs up and it becomes uh, nilixic acid, not nilixic acid, it becomes an acid which is damaging to the brain function. And in fact, in a study out of uh, Japan, a group of psychiatrists and uh, cellular biologists believe that this nirixic acid is more is a better marker for depression than is serotonin. And last year or two years ago, an article came out of the UK showing that serotonin is basically worthless to tell us about depression because they found people with high levels who had depression. They found people with low levels who didn't have depression. So article came out whether or not people, since you said doctors are listening to this, some of them might have read this article. So I'm just clarifying the fact that you know, we're finding that serotonin is not the ironclad marker for depression or lack of depression. Um, two questions that I think go kind of hand in hand. Um, dosage and timing for pregnenolone. Okay. And I know you said 100 milligrams, but you didn't say timing. And how do we know, other than a blood test, I mean, is that obviously the gold standard? But is that um, is that how you just go with everybody? Like, hey, this, this symptom may be common if you have low pregnenolone. Well, as you know, we do... Uh, a full 28-point biomarker panel. And our biomarker panel took about 14 years to put it together. Now it's analyzed by computer software, an AI system. So the pregnenolone, uh, we start with 100 milligrams and we take it 15 to 30 minutes after dinner. Why? 
because it absorbs uh, DHEA, vitamin D, and pregnenolone are called fat soluble. So in order for you to maximize absorption, you need to take it relative to food. So why we give the pregnenolone at nighttime after dinner is because we want to get the benefit of it stimulating the production of GABA so you sleep better. So you asked about what is our goal point without labs? Well, we have guys who come in and I ask them, so how many hours are you in bed? And he said, 12 hours. And I said, damn, you must wake up feeling great in the morning. And this one guy said, no, I wake up feeling like I never put my head to the pillow. Well, I already knew his pregnenolone was unmeasurable because it was so low. It was less than five. In our lab, less than five. It's unreadable. And it should be someplace between 80 and 100. So two weeks down the road, when we had our two-week follow-up, he said, I'm sleeping like a baby. I've had people who have had that response in one day, one night. One is that a cream? Is that a cream no. or a topical? It's or sorry, squirrel. Squirrel. And it gets absorbed very well. How do we know? Because we've got lots of studies showing that when you take oral allopregnenolone, uh, when you take oral pregnenolone, that it gets absorbed and converts to progesterone. Progesterone converts to allopregnanolone. Allopregnanolone is a pharmaceutical drug now, which is called Rososo, $34,000 a year. And it came out specifically for postpartum depression, but it also has beneficial effects on uh, anti-depression, anti-anxiety, and improving sleep. And it's all because of how this molecule works on the brain. There's some, is, is there a reason why someone would take pregnenolone and not just progesterone if you said it converts into progesterone directly? Yeah. There's no reason for you to take uh, progesterone if the pregnenolone converts to it. And that's the, there's a three-step or or two-step from pregnenolone to progesterone, progesterone to allopregnenolone. And the um, enzyme 3-beta-hydroxylase converts it over uh, from uh, pregnenolone. I've never heard of a man being prescribed progesterone. Wouldn't it just make sense? Like, is there a reason why you're doing pregnenolone? You don't want to just skip over the step and just go directly to progesterone? Because uh, pregnenolone actually generates two chemicals, progesterone and pregnenodiol. So pregnenodiol is important for the brain as well. And all these things that are generated from, there are 35 plus or minus uh, hormones, brain hormones that are generated from pregnenolone. And what shuts it off is testosterone because what's the rate limiting what's the rate limiting step is luteinizing hormone if you don't have luteinizing hormone which goes to zero when you're on testosterone you can't make pregnenolone from cholesterol so cholesterol builds up and you can't make pregnenolone so you lose 35 hormones that's why there's literature out there as well as we've seen in our patient population, it was a way that I ended up with a lot more patients from my colleagues who didn't use DHT, DHEA, and pregnenolone, is that four to six months after they were put on their origin, their initial testosterone replacement therapy, TRT, they would develop problems. They weren't feeling as well as they did when they were on their testosterone for that first four to six months. They'd go to the doc and say, hey, I was feeling great in the beginning. I don't feel as good right now. 
And the doc would say, okay, increase your testosterone from you know 300 milligrams to 400 or 200 to 300, whatever they did. And the individual would feel great for another month or two and then come back feeling worse. Well, it turns out that prolonged use of testosterone will lead to burnout of mm -hmm. progesterone, pregnenolone, and allopregnanolone, and it's the allopregnanolone that's key. And there are articles. You can look at testosterone and allopregnanolone and personality changes. Okay, I'll, if you remind me, I'll send you the, I'll put a note, send you the T plus allo P4, uh, P5, okay, article. Thank you. And Dr. Uh, everyone, everyone needs this information. I, I'm so grateful for this. Um, you're, yeah, sorry. I, but. Yeah, not a problem. And that's why every individual that we do put on uh, testosterone, whether or not it's clomid, uh, clomid or injectable, we'll put them on to an appropriate amount of uh, pregnenolone and uh, DHEA. Uh, the benefit of DHEA protects the lungs from cytokine storm precipitated by COVID, but other viruses can do that by increasing a protective uh, chemical called DEL1. Uh, DHEA increases growth hormone in the brain. DHEA increases the coding of neurons. So in the people we see with um, multiple sclerosis, we're able to reverse that by stimulating their production of um, myelin, which is coding the nerve. DHEA is antidepressant. Back in 1953, they started seeing that DHEA, natural source of DHEA from Mexican wild yams, would reduce depression. 1993, and Dr. Morales did a major double-blind crossover study with DHEA, 30% reduction in uh, depression. Very important. Reduction in interleukin-6, stimulation of growth hormone, just DHEA, very inexpensive product, 80 bucks a year or 15 milligrams maybe. D, um, pregnenolone is maybe 80 bucks a year as opposed to $34,000 a year for this brexanolone is what they also call it, this pharmaceutical product. So pregnenolone uh, helps anti-inflammation through the uh, production of uh, progesterone, very important anti-inflammatory. So to circle around to progesterone, I have used in the past low doses of uh, progesterone in guys with horrible sleep because progesterone will increase GABA production. But, um, you know, I found that I was able to generate that in most people using a good dose of, uh, of uh, pregnenolone. And that's why we went from a in the past was 30, 60 milligrams to 100 milligrams. We got better responses and rare side effects on 100 milligrams. And the guy that was you know, in bed for 12 hours, but didn't sleep in two weeks. He was sleeping like a baby, five hours. I mean, I only sleep four to six hours and wake up with lots of energy because it helps you to go into a deep dive of sleep. So you get better deep sleep and better REM sleep. I know you've been, and you said, we, you, you said this when we spoke previously, but I know you like Clomid, and, but you said it was, it was primarily due to one, it's not an injection, two, it's readily available in the U.S., but could you kind of compare and contrast Clomid versus HCG for me? Um, just because I know there's a lot of people out there who ask me directly, like, hey, wh what do I do about HCG? I'm like, I don't know. I'll be able to direct them to this podcast. Yeah. Um, I I did try HCG uh, between 1980, was it 88 until probably 1995. 
on, I was seeing a lot of guys that were self-procuring their TRT protocols or HRT or whatever you want to call it, their stacks. And they would come to me to get uh, improvement. And I put them on beta HCG and I didn't always see it working very well. And the receptor is supposedly the same receptor as clomiphene citrate. Okay. So they both work on the same receptor. So it became now looking at convenience and cost. Well, in the past 15 years, if not longer, beta HCG went from 30 bucks to a hundred and some odd $70 yep. and uh, being used for that crazy worthless diet. You know, anybody who ate 500, mil- uh, 500 calories a day is going to lose weight. And the right. belief that HCG is going to make you tolerate the all eating 500 calories a day, that's bullshit. What it is, is a placebo effect. You know, if I lick this pen twice an hour, I'll stop eating. Okay. Because you train yourself to believe that. Yeah. Right? Mind over yeah. matter. You believe it. So anyway, uh, it's injectable. It's now, most people don't know it, but uh, beta-HCG is monitored as a class three drug. Okay. Yeah. I don't think they officially converted it over into a class three drug, which means it has a higher proclivity for abuse, okay? So the clomiphene citrate tablets became uh, cost-effective. It's a prescription-only product, uh, was re- was readily available, and uh, it was, you know, convenient for taking it, as opposed to injectable, refrigerated. You know, once you mix it, you got to keep it protected from the sun. You got to keep it good temperature. Yeah, so that's the contract. So rest. The rationale between why. So one thing that came up, I was listening to a Peter Atia podcast probably two years ago, and he said there's one marker, and I don't recall what it was, is one marker that looks like it gets significantly elevated with prolonged clomid use that could be potentially very dangerous. Any idea what I'm talking about? I can look it up, but it's been a long time. Yeah, I, I don't know which one it is. Yeah, I'm there's, sure. I, I'll look it up. I'll, yeah, there's, yeah, there is a, starts with an S. It is generated by testicular testicles being turned on or gonads being turned on with beta-HCG. And I think that's probably what it is. But what we do is we pulse the clomid. It's not every night. When we did our three-year veteran study in 2014, 15, and 16, at that time, I was on injectable testosterone for 17 years because my head traumas led to a deficiency of growth hormone testosterone and thyroid. And so... When I saw the results of our first year, I and what the first year was about is trying to find the lowest dose and the pattern for pulsing it to give us the highest response in testosterone. And that was 50 milligrams every 72 hours. So we weren't using it daily. And I see guys that are put on 25 milligrams every day. The first thing I do is I scrap that and get them on 50 milligrams every uh, 72 hours, and they do much better pulsing it. So when you start pulsing something, you don't have that constant production of any deleterious chemistry that can accumulate. When you're doing it all the time, you also get the side effect of the actual drug itself, if there is one, from too high of an accumulation of um, the uh, clomiphene citrate. It has a 14-day half-life but it has, believe it, uh, it's a 31-day functional function in the testes. I mean, 
That's one of the areas that it's been a little bit uh, obtuse for me to explain that there is a chemical half-life and then there's the functional half-life of what the specific hormone induced in the mechanism, the mechanistic, you like that term, the mechanistic function in the cell. So for instance, growth hormone. Why I'm on growth hormone maybe one month, off for three, on for one, and off for three is because they found that the intracellular mechanistic uh, impact of growth hormone can last eight to 12 weeks. So I don't need to be on it every day. I can cycle myself on and off of it. And that's what a lot of our patients end up doing is cycling. They might have an orthopedic or a psychiatric or psychological intracerebral problem like inflammation. Growth hormone is phenomenal for that. Growth hormone is also phenomenal for repairing liver fibrosis or non-alcoholic fatty liver degeneration. I just sent out, uh, I think you might have received it if you're on my Sunday uh, journal club about growth hormone and fibrosis of the liver. Impressive articles. So you, you, read, you went and read my mind, which we were funny talking about just before we began. Uh, so the next thing I wanted to bring up is because you mentioned that you had maybe at some point uh, supplement with growth hormone. I'm curious if now you're still doing it, what that protocol may look like, and who you think would benefit from that. And you already went and answered in large part of the question, but if there's anything you want to add to that. Yeah. Well, uh, just like testosterone, uh, TRT, before I start TRT or actually use testosterone, I'll use clonfin citrate and see how their system responds to it. If their system responds to the clonfin, what do I do? I don't switch them on to testosterone. We were able to get a great level of testosterone. For me, grade level is 50 to 75% of the laboratory range for free testosterone. Total testosterone, stop monitoring that. It's bullshit. What is total? It's a bunch of other chemicals. DHT, epitestosterone. Uh, yes, testosterone. Testosterone bound to albumin to corticotropic uh, globulin. Free testosterone is the key. So the same thing we do with uh, testosterone we do with growth hormone. And what we do is we use a natural secretagogue or oral secretagogue uh, called secretropin or dinotropin, which uses uh, five pathways in the brain to turn on growth hormone production. In fact, four of them stimulate growth hormone production. One of them stops the turning off of growth hormone, which is through something called somatostatin. Somatostatin, when you use growth hormone, somatostatin goes up, and when it hits a threshold, shuts down your entire growth hormone system. So if we can move that threshold, the set point, everybody has their own set point. So if we can move that set point up, that means that you can get a higher level of growth hormone. Okay? So arginine is what causes the area of the hypothalamus, paraffin, nucleus not to make serotonin, to reduce serotonin. And in fact, we've got maybe two vets who were exposed to blast trauma that damaged their hypothalamus and specifically the area that controls, keeps growth hormone low. Now they've got levels of growth hormone that are sky high. Somatostatin or or you said serotonin, you mean somatostatin? Somatostatin. I said serotonin, yeah, somatostatin. Soma, body, statin, stop. So growth, hormone, growth, body. Yeah. So somatostatin. So arginine, uh, three to five grams at nighttime, okay, is uh, will help. Every night? 
every night for as long as you want to take it. You don't have to do it every night. You can pulse it on and off. I think there's an article floating out there where I showed the a graph of how each one of the amino acids increases the production of growth hormone, how much of each amino acid will do that. So lysine, alpha-ketoglutarate, arginine, uh, but arginine is the only one that works by stopping the negative, okay, by stopping stoppage of growth hormone production. The other one's actually stimulated. And it could be three to 10 times spike in growth hormone production over baseline. And the reason why we do most of these uh, secretagogues and manipulations at nighttime is because eight at night until four in the morning is when you spike your growth hormone, your natural spike of growth hormone. So what you're doing is you're raising the threshold, you're raising the amount that's being produced. So at nighttime is the best time to take, uh, you know, your CJC, your Cermorellin, Ipromorellin, any of those MK67, all those crazy things that are out there. And they're injectable. Our product or the product Secretropin and Dynatropin are oral. And we've, it's been out there since 2001, went into physician only hands in 2006. And it's being sold through a pharmaceutical pharmacy uh, company in San Diego throughout the United States. And now we just opened up in, uh, we've been in China, we've been in Philippines, Thailand, and so forth, Southeast Asia, now into United Arab Emirates. Because it works. We've got docs who are monitoring it throughout the United States. The product. So works. if our listeners want to get it, they have to go to the doctor and, and specifically request it? No, uh, we have a version of it on our website, which we'll t- talk about. And if you want, I'll send yep. you some so you can share it with your buds and see what they say and then feedback to me. Okay. I'll see. Um, so one of the questions I, or maybe uh, controversial replies I get to growth hormone is people are like, oh, there's, there's, no, there's no data on that. Periodic growth hormone doesn't work. For this, it doesn't work for that. You know, there's no there's no data on that. So, what would if someone came into you and, and you prescribed growth hormone? What would be the first reason why you would prescribe it and benefit you would expect the the person to see? I know you kind of touched on some of them, but I, yeah. I put a lot of pushback on growth hormone because a lot of right. I think we talked about this offline. Right. I have a, a, a graph which I've developed. You know, between '97 until about 2005. I, I was called on a lot on television programs to talk about growth hormone, defending Stallone and his thing that happened in Australia. And then ESPN Outside the Line, I talked about growth hormone, had someone from UCLA go up against me, an endocrinologist and so forth. The reason why we use growth hormone is because it's a pleiotropic hormone. It works on a multitude of layers. And in these graphs, in these listings of what uh, I've called out of all the literature that I've read is it improves amino acid absorption. And we need amino acids to build everything that our body runs on, all our proteins, our peptides and everything. It helps drop inflammation. So the fibrosis in the liver, growth hormone does that. Prior to these articles, most gastroenterologists and the guys who deal with gut and liver and all that and hepatologists specialize in, in liver you know, said, oh, you get fatty degeneration of the liver from alcohol. There's nothing we can do. You get it from just you're predisposed to it called non-alcoholic fatty acid degeneration. There's nothing we can do. Your liver's going to turn off and you're going to die. Well, now we have stuff to reverse it. We have phosphatidylcholine, IV, one gram over a slow drip, three hours or so, once a week for 12 weeks. We've done that. It works. It also removes the calcification on arteries. So 
one of my closest buddies. We did it with EDTA and then this phosphatidylcholine. It removed 40% of his calcification, not by me, by his cardiologist who was monitoring it, third party monitoring it, you know. And um, it helps with, uh, in the brain, uh, what happens, well, let me back up. Growth hormone goes to the liver and turns on 10 proteins, IGF-1, IGF-2. IGF-2 is associated with repair of the brain. They find the highest level of IGF-2 in children, in neonates, newborns, because it helps with brain formation. It helps with brain growth. Then there's binding protein 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and now 7. Each one of them has been now found to benefit certain functionality in the body. The cardiologists know that binding protein 1 protects the heart. There was an article I just sent out, no, I will send out next week on our uh, journal club, which talks about uh, binding protein 1 protecting the heart. Okay, so these people with a COVID-related myocarditis increasing their growth hormone will increase their IGF binding protein 1 and help with their heart. IGF 2 helps with diabetics, makes you more insulin sensitive. Di uh, binding protein 3 and 4 are anti-cancer. Out of um, binding protein 3, the Melbourne Collaborative Study out of 2006 out of Melbourne, Australia showed a 48% reduction in colorectal cancer deaths when 48% reduction when you increase the binding protein 3, which is by quercetin, estradiol, and vitamin A can increase it. Also, exercise can increase it. So it gives you protection. Uh, binding protein 5 for bone, binding protein 6 for nerve regeneration. And that's where I use it within my traumatic brain injury. There are an incredible amount of articles talking about lowering inflammation, which is what growth hormone does in the brain, just growth hormone, modulates yep. inflammation in the brain. It's called a cytokine modulator. So it drops the interleukin-6 that we talked about, the interleukin-1, the interleukin or tumor necrosis factor alpha, which are caustic on the brain. So growth hormone has these benefits. It helps with muscle repair. It helps with uh, scar reduction. I mean, in my youth of growth hormone, uh, we were using, I was number one in growth hormone use in the United States for about three years. 40,000 units a year. And um, we had people with scars that disappeared. People with eyesight came back. Uh, one of our patients wrote an article. What's that? That was just systemic use, or is that like, was there any specific protocol there? Yeah. Uh, what you do is what we used was one unit, you know, one unit a day in the morning, uh, and then a secreted guard at night to keep the circuitry working. And believe it or not, in 48 hours of using growth hormone, that means two shots of growth hormone in the morning, in 48 hours, you've lost 40% of your natural production of growth hormone. In 30 days, zero production of your own. And so what we did was we started a protocol, a hybrid protocol with injectable growth hormone in the morning and a secretagogue like, uh, like uh, secretropin or dinotropin at night, two puffs, into the mouth, not under the tongue, just into the mouth. And we monitored uh, their growth hormone levels. And when they were on the secretagogue, their growth hormone levels were higher than in those people who weren't on the secretagogue. And it makes sense. If you're producing 100 nanograms of growth hormone 
a day, IGF-1, IGF-1 a day, and you go on injectable growth hormone, your natural production of 100 disappears. So all your growth hormone and IGF-1 and all those proteins that are generated at the liver are coming from the injectable. How about this? We preserve your natural production and add to it an addition supplement of the injectable. So now you're getting the supplemental benefits and your natural added together. That's why we end up with a higher level. Okay. That's going your breadth and depth of knowledge is uh, truly remarkable. I want to talk a little bit about the supplements that you've put together specifically for men and women who ultimately want to optimize brain function. You've got a bunch of stuff on your website that looks truly amazing. And I know um, Millennium Health is the site. And if you could tell us about where that all started, why you started it, and uh, who is the ideal person to take those up. Well, uh, no, just as you are, I'm an avid reader. I go through you know, 20 to 30 articles a week. And what happens is I'll read an article and I'll make a mention of something and I'll jump over to read about that. So I'm across an incredible array of uh, journals from psychiatry, neuropsychophysiology, chemistry, this, that, and the other. And in the past, I personally used a lot of nootropics. So phosphodiesterone was one of the ones. How I got started on Sledgely, how I got started on some of the other products that are out there that are nootropics. And those are pharmaceutically produced products, right? And I started looking at what is in nature that can help us do better without taking a pharmaceutical drug. And part of that led me to the question of, okay, why is it that we lose these monoamine oxidase, these trans neurotransmitters, this, 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 and this? Why do we lose it? And it came back to the beginning. Neuroinflammation shuts down all these processes. So it became how to regenerate or how to enhance, improve our natural neuro nootropics in our brain is by fixing why they go down. And why they go down is this inflammation. So there are certain products like quercetin and uh, alpha-tocopherol, uh, vitamin A, and gamma-tocopherol, vitamin, uh, excuse me, vitamin E, and it's alpha, delta, and gamma. Alpha and gamma are the best ones. And when you mix them with quercetin, they together shut off one of the most important triggers for pre for cytokines, pro-inflammatory cytokines. They call it NF-kappa-B. So it shuts down this NF-kappa-B trigger. And NF-kappa-B goes into the nucleus of our cell and can turn on up to 400 processes that are inflammatory for the most part. So what our products do is they tone down those reactions. Uh, the federal government did studies on uh, N-acetylcysteine, NAC, and glutathione. What that does is it drops inflammation. In the study that was done during the height of Gulf War, they took guys that were exposed to blast trauma. Within 24 hours, they put half of them into a placebo group and half of them into an N-acetylcysteine group, getting 400 milligrams twice a day for seven days, and they monitored them. And they found the group that was not receiving N-acetylcysteine that 89% of them had anger, 
insomnia, and depression within a week. Okay? I've seen it in 24 hours. I have a patient from Arkansas in 24 hours to develop that. And then the group that had that had the N-acetylcysteine, 86% of them had no symptoms. 14% of them had symptoms. Okay? 89% of those that were on placebo had symptoms. 11% did not. How do you account for the 11% who were on placebo who had no symptoms? And that deals with biological uh, resiliency. And what biological resiliency is, each of us develops a protective barrier against things that happen to us. So I'd have squad of guys that were exposed to a Scud missile. They all were exposed to blast trauma. Why is it that one or two out of the six or eight guys developed symptoms and the rest of the people did not or had attenuated symptoms? And if you start looking at things that embellish protection, which I, for them, call Kevlar, so it's, you know, their vest with more Kevlar up in it, and it would be things that, that they did that were positive for their system. So what's positive? Not drinking, hydrating well, eating good nutrition, vitamin supplements that might be naturally in good f- fruits and vegetables and so forth, Okay meditating, sleeping well. These are all things that lead to improvement in their Kevlar vest. And the ones that were symptomatic, they drank alcohol all the time. They didn't uh, eat well. They didn't hydrate well. You know, they did everything to diminish their biological resiliency. As you go, and it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. So we could talk for five more hours if we kept going. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, okay. That was so useful. Uh, we're gonna have we're gonna put together some great show notes with some summaries for the audience and um, a lot of action items where they can hear uh, directly link to your site and to your products and to these research studies you mentioned. So um, we're gonna make sure we make this actionable for our audience. So great. I really really respect you. I appreciate you. And so we're gonna we're gonna tell them about MillenniumHealthStore.com where you can pick up Brain Rescue. Um, one, two, three, you have clear mind. They have a ton of products on here. Yeah, but the most yeah. important one through our study with the military, with the Marines at uh, Camp Pendleton is the Brain Rescue 3. Yep. One packet pre-breakfast. That's the key. Yeah, I think looking at this site, I think 80% of the things on here are the things that I actually use. So it's phenomenal stuff. Like even in your store, you know, all the things that most... Oh, you have the Dynatropin on there as well. The yeah, it's di- great. there's Dynatropin on it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'll send you a couple of codes so that your people can get the uh, Dynatropin uh, for free as part of a package. And then oh, uh, send a code specifically for uh, your listeners if they're interested in trying anything. Thank you, Dr. Gordon. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. And that's a wrap, ladies and gents. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I realize there's a lot of incredible stuff out there, which is why I continue to seek out the world's greatest humans, people who ultimately keep going when everyone else stops, people who insist on finding solutions when everyone else throws up their hands. Thank you to Dr. Mark Gordon for continuing to push the envelope, for providing so much valuable insight. It was actually truly a pleasure to have this man on the show. It's been someone I've been looked up to for a long time. I did grow up with brain trauma. In fact, I had enormous amounts of brain inflammation as a kid. 
from just an abysmal diet, from a toxic environment, and ultimately from terrible sleep habits, which just weren't valued in my home. I slept with the lights on, the TV on, probably slept five or six hours a night when I was like seven. And I grew up thinking that I had a learning disability and I certainly had a speech impediment. That was a different story. But all these things led me to realize that as a kid, I had brain trauma on top of the fact that I played combat sports, I played football, I was in car accidents, like so many things. And so as I reached my university level years, I started researching ways to optimize my brain and actually came across Dr. Gordon many, many years ago. So it's truly a pleasure and honor to have him on the show. Head over to muscleintelligence.com slash podcast. You can get the show notes and get links to his products, which I've been blessed to be able to try. So he's got some fantastic products. We will link to that in the show notes and so much more. And don't forget to check out our sponsors for today, Bioptimizers, bioptimizers.com slash muscle. Use the code muscle10 at checkout. And I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.